This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Frontlines Book Club. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for a new book club recommendation. A portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following the links at frontlinesmtb.com slash shop will go to support the podcast. Now on with the show. You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Why do we mountain bike? I've thought about this a lot over the last few years. We're certainly not all in it for the same reasons. But I believe we all share some common motivations. But perhaps we might rank some differently than others. Now, as as most are aware, in the United States, there continues to be a fight over whether or not bikes belong in designated wilderness areas or future wilderness areas. And a big part of that debate has been with what we might define as the old guard conservationists. Groups like the Wilderness Society and the Sierra Club, who describe themselves as conservationists. Now. Oftentimes, we as mountain bikers or recreationists will describe ourselves as being conservationists too, that being a recreationist isn't exclusive. And the question often asked, are mountain bikers truly conservationists? What is our connection to nature? My guest this episode is researching that very relationship. And I'll quote my guest here, is nature merely scenery and therefore more of a backdrop to outdoor recreation pursuits than the center of our relational immersion, end quote. Now, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 55 of Frontlines. I'm joined here in studio at the North Vancouver City Library with Greg Jerdalen. Greg is faculty with the School of Outdoor Recreation Management at Capilano University in North Vancouver, British Columbia. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brent. Thanks for having me. So you're embarking on some research right now, and the question that you're asking is, does riding increase your empathy for nature? And I think many of us can agree that being outdoors and, and in nature is, is certainly a good thing, whether it's it's your personal mental health or, or your physical fitness. But uh, there's also, uh, and, I, and I'm going to quote you here, the experience of, of being in nature is integral to, to humans developing a deeper relationship to nature, end quote. So outside of mountain biking, when it comes to activities like, like hiking, is there research already out there that kind of backs that statement? Uh, yes, there is. There's a guy named Richard Louvre. Um, Richard Louvre wrote a book called Last Child in the Woods, and he coined a term called nature deficit disorder. And what he was arguing was that children globally, because they're trapped in a sense in the urban world, they don't have the opportunity to connect with the natural world. And as a result, uh, behavioral issues, physiological issues are prevalent in urban kids. So that could be obesity, it could be uh, different uh, emotional issues that children have. And what his research found was that children that spent time 
in nature, connecting to nature, had a way less uh, were way less prevalent in in uh, getting those kinds of issues. So that's that's really where my research started with uh, Richard Louv's work. And growing up here in North Vancouver, I've spent my whole life here and had the opportunity to be in nature so much. I could relate to what he was speaking about. So now, now you're looking at mountain biking specifically, and, and a question you're asking is, is nature merely scenery and therefore more of a, a backdrop for outdoor recreation pursuits uh, than the, the center of our, our uh, relational immersion? You know, what's the difference between uh, an ego relationship and an eco relationship? And, and do we lean towards uh, one more as a mountain biker? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Don't you love that question? <laughs> um, if I take myself back to say, uh, I remember it was 1979. I was 19 years old. I bought a Schwinn cruiser, made it into a five speed and started mountain biking. And I'm sure for decades, I didn't really give the th- a thought to where I was and how incredible it was. My education took me into studying ecology, environmental stewardship. And I think from a sort of a scholastic perspective, I started to look at what was going on out there. I could identify the trees and the plants and recognize the different soil types. And I started to think about my impacts and having a little bit of involvement with the North Shore Mountain Bike Association in the early days, I was able to speak to different people about this. And I started to ask myself, what if I think I'm an environmental steward, what is my personal impact as a mountain biker coming down these trails. And often those trails at the time were not well designed. So they often turned into creeks. And I think that's where I I got some inspiration for this work. And I've been fortunate enough to still be riding with guys that I know from high school. And I often would look at them on our rides and think, are they just out here for the socialization and and the, the stoke of riding? Or are they out there because they're really getting something from the natural world? And are they developing a relationship to that natural world? So th- those are places that I started. And I, I, I think as I, I get older, I start to think about things differently. I start to philosophize. Uh, one of, one of the great philosophers for me is a guy named Aldo Leopold. And in the forties, he wrote a book called a, a Sand County Almanac. And in that, he came up with this term called landful, being a landful person. And he argued that to be a landful person is to have a connection to the land and to have a land ethic. And a land ethic would be treat the land in the same way that you would treat people. And hopefully, if you're a person that treats people respectfully, you would treat the land respectfully. And he was arguing in the 40s 
that we as a society, Western society, I think he was mostly speaking about Americans because he was an American, was arguing that we were, we were becoming landless, not landful. And so he was arguing for people to become more landful, more connected, more deeply connected. And with the work that Louvre had been doing and inspiration drawn from Aldo Leopold, I really started thinking, as mountain bikers, are we landful or are we landless? And I started to ask people these questions when I was out there mountain biking with them. And I think people may have some connection. I mean, of course, people go, wow, smell the air. Isn't it beautiful to be out here? But is that is that enough to be ecocentric or life-centered as opposed to egocentric or human-centered? And which is getting back to that question that you asked me, what's the difference between egocentric and ecocentric? And I would think that egocentrism uh, would be, I'm out riding to fulfill a need that I have for myself and nothing wrong with these needs. I want to get out there and be physical. I want to have fun. I want to be with my friends. I want to feel the stoke. Perhaps I want to see if I can get into flow. And perhaps nothing to do with the place that you're riding. Whereas an ecocentric perspective would be, okay, where am I going to ride? Do I want to go there because I love the the feeling I get from being in that forest or being in that alpine area where I'm above the trees? Do I pay attention to where I'm riding? Do I pay attention to how I'm riding? What my relationship is? How I'm treating that landscape? How I'm treating that ecosystem? This summer, uh, well, actually it was in September, and strangely enough, I was on a rafting trip with David Suzuki. Oh, wow. It was great. We were together for eight days on a raft. So one day I asked him about the eco-relationship and the ego relationship and whether we had to choose, because I believe most of us live with an ego relationship rather than eco relationship. And he said, he sort of looked at me and laughed and said, you don't have to let go of your ego relationship. You just have to broaden it to bring in the eco relationship within it. Interesting. And I loved what he said. I thought, well, that makes it so much more approachable for most people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, those things you mentioned about mountain biking, about, you know, getting out there and, and being fit and, and finding that flow and that stoke, right? Like that's never going to go away for mountain bikers, mm -hmm. um, you know? And so if, if the only option is to replace that with something else, then I don't think that's, that is going to happen. That's no. a huge part of what we do. So, you know, what are those motivations then for, for most mountain bikers? And it, it sounds like for you personally, that, that transitioned the older you got. And, and do you find that, like, have you found that with other people that they have similar experiences where maybe they got into mountain biking for those, those more ego kind of drives and, and have learned to kind of love more of that eco relationship? Mm -hmm. Well, like, two different individuals that I've been riding with for over 20 years. Uh, one is Al. And I, I think for years I was the person that would say, whoa, check out 
how this dwarf mistletoe has been deforming these hemlocks out here. <laughs> and they all go, what are you talking about? And I say, well, look up. Look how those branches look like they're – some witch has bewitched them and they're getting all gnarly and ugly. And, and then we'd look around more and we'd start seeing, oh, yeah, the hemlocks, especially around lower pink starfish on Frome, you can see where the dwarf mistletoe has been a parasite on these hemlocks. As an example of something that I might say or or I'd go, whoa, look at all the mushrooms today. And and then what I started noticing this summer and in, in the early fall was this rider Al would say, whoa, everybody stop. Look at how the light is hitting that beautiful Douglas fir. I thought, whoa, Al knows Douglas fir <laughs> and he's noticing the light and he's stopping everybody. So it made me feel that, wow, he, he's, he's really developed uh, a relationship out there. And, it, and he doesn't just do it once. He's, he's doing it all the time now. And another guy, Greg, he, we, we're always joking when we're riding that it just feels right, doesn't it? Just feels so good to be out here. And we started talking about this idea of forest bathing. The Japanese call it Jin Shin Roku. And uh, it's a really big thing in Japan and Korea and China. And so I've been talking it up with friends. And Greg is always now when we're on a ride saying, hey, Gigi, we're forest bathing <laughs> on our bikes. And it just feels right, doesn't it? So I, I think that, you know, these are riders that are in their 50s and they've been riding probably since they were 20 years old. And they're, they're, I feel that they're developing a deeper relationship with the natural world. And as a result, they're benefiting, benefiting from it. And I believe that the natural world will also benefit from that because it's, it's come from an awareness of where they are, like uh, the sense of place. And from there, it, it from the awareness, becomes an appreciation of where you are. And then from the appreciation, they've been developing a relationship. And as that relationship deepens, I'll use the word love. Uh, I think there's a real love or an attachment to the place. And once people get that, there's definitely a desire and a willingness to protect. And given, if you look at what's going on on the planet uh, things are bad. Things are really not good for the earth, uh, the living earth. And if it's not good for the living earth, it's not good for people. So on a very, very large scale, we can bring it right back to our riders and go, what's our role in making this earth a better place? And I, I'm a real believer in one person can make a difference because that your one behavioral change can ripple out through your friends, through work, through community. I see this happen all the time at my, with my work at Capilano. It, it kind of gives me a lot of hope for, you know, getting kids hooked on mountain biking because mm. it's just fun to go oh. mountain biking, but knowing that, you know, that's going to, to pay in dividends later down the road with them feeling connected with nature. Yes. And I, you see so many more kids. Wow. I, in the last five years, it's, it's amazing how many 
young families I see out there and the kids have got the beautiful mountain bikes. Uh, I don't think they existed when my kids were that age. Yeah, it's it's beautiful to see them out there. And and because the trail associations are so much more sophisticated, I'll use the word enlightened, enlightened in the sense of what our impact is on our on our forests. There's such a different mentality, different philosophy, and you can see it in the trails. The the so-called uh, dumbing down of the trails, which uh, I I am in full favor of. I I love it. I, I I love the flow. I love how trails can get built, and then a rainstorm can come on the North Shore, and this and the trails still look good, whereas before they were turning into creeks very quickly and. It, exposing the roots and and now through sophisticated trail building it's not happening mm. well and that ties into uh, my next question really well so when i think about what the role of uh, of trail associations can play in, in kind of broadening that that eco relationship you know what comes to mind is is trail days and you know, not just building new trails for the sake of having more flow and having more stoke, but actually caring for the forest, you know, revitalizing areas and removing invasive species, you know, is, is the trail association maybe the, the biggest active role in, in perhaps kind of switching that, that ego to that eco relationship for, for mountain bikers? Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I believe so. And that was one of the reasons that I, it started this research out with the North Shore Mountain Bike Association, and I was so overwhelmed with the the positive acceptance and welcoming of these ideas uh, for the North Shore Mountain Bike Association. Uh, had an interesting meeting uh, with Christine, and she completely understood where I was coming from and where I wanted to go with it. So gave me access to the membership, and I had developed this uh, survey instrument with 50 questions, and it went out to the NSMBA's membership. And then from that, uh, Christine encouraged me to get a hold of Sorka and Warka and Porka and Torka, Mm -hmm. and they were all on board immediately. And in the end, now I have uh, all this data to work with. So clearly, uh, with all of those people belonging to associations, we can have such a greater impact. And a few ideas, I, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to do with the data was to find out, are, are riders connected to nature? What I found was that, yes, they are, perhaps not overwhelmingly, uh, but then again, maybe it's because uh, of the survey design and I didn't really get into how people truly feel. I found out that close to 70% of the riders, one of their 70% of the riders said that they were highly motivated to go mountain biking to breathe in the forest air. And uh, 64% went out to be in the forest and connect to the forest. So I found those comments quite helpful. And I'll put those percentages into context. 92% of riders 
are motivated, highly motivated to ride to have fun. That was the that was the main motivator, <laughs> which makes me feel really good. Yeah, yeah. Because I think uh, when people go out to have fun, then they're going to feel so much better about themselves and then they'll treat other people better. And perhaps the ecology. Mm. 82% of riders were highly motivated to ride to be happy. And so fun and happy, fantastic. Way over reasons for being competitive or to push yourself. Now, people going out to breathe in the forest air, connect with nature, and be immersed in nature, to me, those give me hope that people are more ecocentric and I have to, and then I start asking myself questions like, what does it actually mean to develop a, a relationship with the natural world and how do I measure that so that I can one day, and one of my goals is to take this research and write it up in a scholastic journal. So I need to get really clear on what it actually means to be deeply connected to the natural world. Yeah. So take us through kind of the, the process of this. You've, you've put out a survey to a number of people, you know, what's, what's kind of next for this research? Like how do, how do you go from there? Yeah. Yeah. So is 68% being highly motivated to breathe in the forest air? Is, does that mean it's an eco relationship? And is that enough? Or does that mean that it's not enough? And if it's not enough, I'm thinking about working with the trail associations in developing, facilitating ways of getting riders to be, to take notice and opportunities to connect to the natural world. So one example that I have, and I'm, I, I really think this is a great idea. Remember when, uh, Good Sir Martin first opened the climb trail up Seymour? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so for those that aren't familiar with, uh, with Mount Seymour, um, there wasn't really a climbing trail on Seymour for quite a while. And this was, this was really the first climbing trail on that part of the mountain. Yeah. You know, cl true classic technical single track climb trail. Classic technical single track climbing trail that is a blue, sometimes green, not black diamond. It's, it's, it's a beautiful climb trail because it's open to so many people to climb it. And it is so aesthetic. You climb it and the greens, like all the color, all the different shades of green, you get close enough to the trees that you can really see the bark. And it's the kind of trail that you can take your eye off the trail and see where you are. So I, I, I feel that that trail allows for deep immersion in, into the forest. And the reason I mention that trail is because soon after it was built, a photographer who had been taking photos the whole time they were building over a year, uh, I guess chose eight or 10 photographs that were blown up and put on to poster board and waterproofed and were put on strategic locations on the trail. 
And to some people that may sound offensive, but the, the pictures were so well taken and they really told the story of how the trail was built. And the great thing about those posters is that they were only up for a few months and then they were gone. So my idea is, well, let's do those posters again. But this time, let's have a poster that shows a flying squirrel. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize that we have flying squirrels on our mountains in the North Shore and Brent's shaking his I head. Don't, I, don't, I didn't know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most people don't know this, but every night these nocturnal squirrels come out and they gain elevation on the tree and wow. they take a leap and they open their arms wow. and they're like the wingsuit guys. Yeah, yeah. And they <laughs> soar over to the next tree. Amazing. And what they're doing is, is they're in search of fungi and they eat the fungi. Hmm. So I just thought that you have a picture of a flying squirrel and, and under it, there's a caption that says, did you know I live here? Mm-hmm. And people are riding by going, wow, I did not know that. And then maybe three minutes later on the climb, there's another image. And this image shows a fungi, a mushroom. And under it, it says, I'm the food of the flying squirrel. And I'm also the largest organism in this forest. Mm. And I think, again, people will go, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And this is really interesting. Huh. So the idea for me is is to just have these little gold nuggets that are going to provoke people to thinking and get people to look up more. Mm-hmm. So that's one idea. I have many images with little captions underneath in mind. So I thought if trail associations were receptive to this idea, we could work on that. Another one, and this this idea, I think uh, Wade Simmons was telling me about it. He was working already with the District of North Van on it, is, is more benches, which would allow people to sit on them, enjoy the view, maybe encourage riders to, to stop on their ride and say, wow, look at this place we're riding in. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like that idea as well. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think the culture here in the North Shore has changed over the years where it was a little bit more of a, you know, you would push your bike to the top of certain hills and then naturally stop in places, mm. you know, recover, maybe put on some knee pads. And now with bikes having dropper posts and all sorts of things, we we tend to move a lot faster through the forest. I mean, um, so those natural stopping points aren't there. And, and that bench is a great reminder that like, just take your time. What's, yeah. what's the rush, right? Yeah. That's yeah, great. You can still drop in, ride really hard, be really focused, not thinking about the trees, the soil, the mycorrhizae fungi, the flying squirrel, whatever. <laughs> of course, you, you shouldn't be thinking of those things. Yeah. You should be focused on the trail and your ride, but then stop and and be grateful and and hopefully be in awe of of where you are mm-hmm. and and then i believe that we'll get so much more out of the experience and the forest will get so much more from us being there we it will become uh, reciprocal rather than 
us just taking, taking, taking. So I think in the long run, it'll be a lot more sustainable. Yeah. One other idea I had, and, and this relates to you, Brent, because it's, it's with trail forks and, and whether or not we could put an icon on trail forks. So if I know of a really cool tree that's right along a trail, perhaps we could put an icon there. People could click on that icon and a little blurb would come up and we could do that in, in specific locations. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's just one other way to get people's attention and get people to slow down and think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that, that's definitely a possibility. There's a there is a a site point of interest icon on Trail Forks that is underutilized. Oh, okay. And that would be perfect for that. Where yeah. you know I will tag certain things if there's um you know monuments at the tops of hills or or lookout points that kind of thing. But I think more of that natural uh, points of interest or it would be you know a great use of of that point of interest. So it's yeah. something that can definitely be done. You mentioned flow state, and, and could you just yeah. expand? on that a little bit? Like what is the flow state and, and what are your thoughts on, on that and what that means? Sure. People talk about flow all the time. There was, there is a psychologist named Mihai Sikmihaly who really coined the term flow. And what he said was that when people put themselves in a situation in which their training, their abilities are really pushed, they're leaning into their edge, then they have to use all of their abilities and capacities to control the situation. And I believe that we do that all the time when we mountain bike. And he called that the flow state or a state of consciousness where the prefrontal cortex in our brain goes offline and our natural mind body comes into play and we do things that we don't really understand how we did that we just did it because our we've learned over time and i believe that when we're in the flow state when we come out of it we feel so much better about ourselves and we kind of have this high and I would like to bring this into my research because I think that we could somehow tap into flow, get more people to tap into flow. And because of the high that you get from the flow experience, people want to ride more. I want to get back on my bike and have that experience again. And I believe the more time we spend out there, the more connected we'll become and the deeper our relationship with the natural world will become, and the more we'll open up our ego relationship and allow the eco relationship to come in. It'll be so much better as individuals, as a community, as a society, and it'll be so much better for the ecology. Uh, so recently you, you traveled to Australia and you actually presented this research. So uh, how is that experience and, and, uh, and what happened there? The conference was the Outdoor Educators and Research Conference. And what, what was so great for me at the end of my research, uh, at the end of my presentation was, uh, a Danish 
researcher from the university in Copenhagen came up and said, well, I'm working on something quite similar to what you're doing. I'd love to collaborate on this research with you. And the same with uh, a guy from the University of Northern British Columbia. He's, he's, been, he's been working with fly fishers and doing something very similar. What is, what are the, what are, what is their relationship to nature? And he's giving at different levels. So yeah, there's people have been looking at what motivates people to mountain bike in many different countries. And I've, I've been finding that out through my research. And one more thing I may mention is that I'm also conducting this research with trail runners and paddlers. I've started with mountain biking because that's the community that I'm most connected with, but I'm also connected with the trail running community and the paddling community, so I thought I should check them out as well. And research shows that trail runners, very, very similar statistics, very, very similar data outcomes through the surveys. And what about paddlers? Have you done any research with them yet? Haven't started with the paddlers yet. Well, interesting. It sounds like there's going to be a lot more information in the Mm -hmm. future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Well, Greg, I just want to say thank you for, for taking the time to, to sit with me and, and, uh, and share this research. I'm really excited in it. I think it's, it, uh, it speaks to a lot of what I enjoy about mountain biking. And I'm, you know, I've always been confident that other people feel the same way, but I think it, it really makes, uh, mountain biking valuable more than just this great way to, to have fun and this great way to stay active. You know, it is, it's contributing to that, uh, that global perspective a lot more, which is wonderful. So thank you very much. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. And I feel that the more I speak about it, the more I learn and the more I get clear on what it is that I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So thank you for taking this time. Next episode, we'll be joined by a past panelist, Laura Puckett-Daniels, Deputy Director of the Crested Butte Mountain Bike Association out in Colorado. Building off of today's conversation, Laura will be sharing about their Crested Butte Conservation Corps, a program that I think speaks to building that eco-relationship. And I always want to hear from you, so send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. And like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes. This podcast is made possible by donations from you. And in the show notes, you'll also find a link to the Frontline's MTB Book Club, where a portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following those links will be sent to the podcast. The latest book club recommendation comes from today's guest, Greg Jardalen, and it's Richard Louv's Last Child in the Woods. Go to frontlinesmtb.com slash book dash club and pick up a copy for yourself while at the same time ensuring the longevity of this podcast. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And big thanks to Ben Walnuck and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And finally... I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening, and happy trails.